so glad to be here today. I've said this many times, but I will not be where I am in my faith journey if it weren't for Stephen. So I'm so grateful for you and your influence and leadership in my life. And uh, as we get started, I just want to take a moment to introduce myself next Sunday, uh, I, along with my wife, Jess, which I got a picture here, are going to be celebrating our seven-year anniversary. Um, there we go. Come on. I got a couple of applause. I preached at a church last week, and I said that, and nobody applauded. And I was like, here's what Redemption knows. Redemption Church knows that you can't get to like 50 years if you don't get to seven years, okay? Come on. So we're excited, and I want to take you back to our wedding, our reception, okay? My wife, Jess, was so excited to dance the night away, have so much fun with all of our friends and family, and I was excited for that, but I was a little bit more excited for what was going to happen after the wedding reception, okay? And uh, since I was very excited about that moment, I was looking at my watch like the entire time. All right, is it 1030 yet? Sparkler send off, let's go, let's make this happen. And finally it hits 1030. We drive over to our 500 square foot apartment. And for those of you, do you remember when you first got married? Your first apartment, it's terrible. Like it smells bad, ours, it was so hot in there. Eventually we figured out it had black mold inside of it. Okay, so that was our first year. That's just what you do when you don't have any money um, and you're married and you're in love. So we drive over there, it's about 11 o'clock at night. We're very excited about what is about to happen. And we get to the front door and I take out my keychain. And I take out my key that I am about to put in the door, but it is not there. And I'm thinking to myself, where did my key to get into the apartment go? And I look at my beautiful wife of six hours. And I remember, I gave you the key yesterday because you were hanging out with your bridesmaids and you spent the night at our apartment. So obviously my beautiful, responsible, amazing, incredible wife has the key. So I say, hey, Jess, you got the key? She looks back at me with the most sad face you could have. And she says, no. Now we've been married for six hours at this point and we had a unique opportunity here within six hours to work on our communication. <laughs> I gave you this key. You do not have this key any longer. So she ends up calling bridesmaid Jasmine. Jasmine brings the key over. And while this is happening, I'm starting to get strategic because I'm like, wait a minute, it's gonna take them like 45 minutes to get here. And like, maybe the door's unlocked. So I say a quick prayer, like, God, please, you do miracles. You can move the mountains. Door's still locked. I'm thinking, is there a window I can sneak into? We didn't have windows, so that wasn't even an option. Then I'm thinking to myself, we don't have much money, but how much would it cost to just bust this door wide open? And I was like, that's not going to happen. Uh, one, because I didn't want to pay for it. Two, uh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not physically able to make that happen. So after 45 minutes, I had to wait even longer for something that I was waiting for my entire life. And uh, we end up getting into the room. We have uh, a lot of fun. But I look back at that memory and I think to myself, I was so excited for what was about to happen that I forgot the key that was going to be basically make happen what I wanted to happen, right? And we do this a lot in our life. We get so excited about the future. We get so excited about what's going to happen tomorrow that we forget about today. We forget about how God wants to use us in this present moment for what he wants to do through us in the future. Here's how I put it in my notes. And if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down. That your unhealthy focus on tomorrow will oftentimes limit how God wants to use you today. I mean, how often do we just start thinking about the future 
and all the things that God is going to do through the future version of me that I forget that God wants to work in me and through me right now. Now, some of you, maybe you're not futuristic and you don't even really think about the future all that often. You are just overwhelmed with today. You're walking into church today and you're overwhelmed with anxiety or fear or worry. You look at the state of our country, you look at your uh, family members or there's a relationship struggle and you're thinking, I can't even get past today. There is no way that I can even think about the future. And for you, when you're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, oftentimes for us, that your unhealthy focus on today will limit how God wants to use you today. When we are overcome by fear and anxiety and stress, it limits how God can use us where we are. About four years ago, uh, my wife and I, we decided we were going to go to Italy and we saved up our money. And I'm just going to tell you, my wife wanted to go to Italy. I really didn't want to go because I love the United States of America. And there are plenty of places that are in the United States that I wanted to go to. um, But since I want to get to at least 50 years of marriage, I was like, okay, we'll go to Italy. So we head over to Italy and it is the night of the Golden State Warriors Cleveland Cavs game. And what I'm about to say, some of you, are, you're not going to listen to me for the rest of the day. And that's totally fine. That's on you, not me. LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. Okay. I got a couple of applause, three of them, which is great. Um, but I wanted to watch this Cavs game. So I wake myself up at 5 a.m. It's game one of the finals. And the Cavs are playing incredible the entire time. And they are tied with four seconds left. And the Cavs player shoots the ball with the free throw. And J.R. Smith, who is also a Cavs player, gets the rebound. And all he has to do is lay the ball in and they will win the first game of the NBA Finals. Now, if you watch this game, you remember that J.R. Smith, who is not necessarily the smartest basketball player in the world, thought they were winning by one. So he takes the ball. He runs all the way back to the three-point line. And he holds the ball for the rest of the game. And basically the clock ticks to zero and they go to overtime and the Cleveland Cavs lose the game. This was LeBron James' reaction to J.R. Smith when he didn't remember that, yeah, when he didn't remember that they were tied. The entire next day when we were in Italy, a trip that we had saved up for, that we were excited for, I could not stop thinking about this game. Like Jess, as we're walking down the streets of Italy and she's like, You're thinking about the game again, aren't you? And I'm like, just in this complete daze. And some of you, you have a spouse who does this. Like they can't handle when Ohio State or Michigan loses. Like they don't go to church the next Sunday because they are like so uh, in struggle about it. And you're just looking at them. And this is what Jess told me. She's like, Josh, this does not affect your life at all. It doesn't. And I'm like, I know, but I can't stop thinking about it. It's a reminder for all of us. Now, maybe it's not a basketball game for you, but there's something in your past that you can't stop thinking about. And your unhealthy focus on yesterday will limit how God wants to use you today. That when you can't get past the past, you forget how God can use you where you are to make a difference. So I don't know where you're at today. Sometimes in life, we can be in all three of those places in the same day. We're thinking about the future. We're overwhelmed with the present. We're thinking about the past. But here's what I know. I know that God wants to use you where you are right now to make a difference. So if you've got a Bible, take it out. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you do not have a Bible, we will throw it up here on the screen. We're going to be talking about a man named David. 
David is very popular. You've probably heard of him before. And we're going to look at what David did to put himself in a position where he defeated Goliath that shows us how we uh, can take the moments of our life and how when we are present with what we are facing, how God has the ability to use it in an awesome way. If anybody could have felt overlooked or frustrated with their current placement, it was David. You see, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel because the current king, King Saul, had disobeyed God multiple times. So God looked down, he told the prophet, hey, go over to David's house and I want you to anoint David. So David is the anointed king of Israel, but he is not currently in the position of the king. He is a lowly shepherd. He is a lowly shepherd, but he's anointed to be the next king. And here's what happens. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17 through 18, the Israelites are against the Philistines. Three of David's brothers are in the military. Uh, he had a total of seven brothers. And here's what David's dad said to him. He said, one day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David gives us an example. If we want to experience the powerful present today and what God wants to do in us and through us, we need to be reminded of this. How can you make a difference today? We need to trust that extraordinary outcomes begin with ordinary obedience. Extraordinary outcomes begin with ordinary obedience. David had absolutely no idea how the ramification of him obeying his father in this small moment would alter the trajectory of his life. And that's what ordinary obedience is. It's common. It's the right thing to do. It seems insignificant in the moment, but when you look back at it, it turns into something significant. You see, I don't want to spoil the story for you, although you probably already know. David beats Goliath. And the reason that David was put in the position to defeat Goliath is because he was obedient. His father asked him to go, so he went. I mean, could you imagine if David would have looked at his father and said, no. You know what, Dad? I'm a shepherd. I'm building up some really good chemistry with the sheep right now. I don't think this is the time to go. Or David, or dad, why don't you just go ask my brother Ozem to do it? Maybe he can do it. Or you know what, dad, uh, right now it's just not the season. I'm super busy. Or, or dad, you know what, right now I'm really enjoying the Netflix show Israel's Got Talent. After that's done, I'll head over there. No, no, David obeyed right away. If you don't obey God in the small things, you're never going to see God do big things. What does it mean to live out ordinary obedience? Well, oftentimes bigger and better in God's eyes is often looked at by others as small and insignificant. You see, we look at other people and we say, we want to do the big things that they've done. Or God, I want you to do something incredible in my life. And we think it's all of these big, amazing things. And God's just like, would you be present in the moment? Would you obey me right now? David didn't put himself in a position to defeat Goliath by doing something big. He put himself in a position to defeat Goliath by doing something small and obedient. 
So the question I have for you today is this. Where is God calling you to obey today? You see, we live in a society where uh, obedience is kind of a word that gets shamed a little bit. It's more about you need to do whatever you feel. You need to do whatever is going to make you happy. You need to do this. Or you can obey when you actually feel like it. And that's not God's definition of obedience. The reason we obey God is because he knows better than we know. And you see, when we take those steps, God has the ability to do incredible things. Some of you, you are waiting for the perfect conditions. You're waiting for the perfect time to do whatever God is calling you to do. And he's saying, start right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse four says this. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Come on, how true is that verse? Some of you, you are waiting for the perfect day to get fit. It's today. It's not next year. It's not a New Year's resolution in January. It's like, go for a run today. Some of you, you want to eat healthier today. You want to get better. And you're like, you got to stop eating ice cream, okay? It's not going to help you. It's not going to get you where you want to go. You see, the small actions over time lead to large results. This isn't just something we see in Scripture. This isn't just when it comes to our spiritual walk. This is every area of our life. Some of you, even when it comes to church, you want to get connected, you want to get plugged in, but you've never taken that first step. And maybe that's the step you need to take today. Because ultimately, delayed obedience is disobedience. So stop putting it off and start today. If you have questions about what does it look like to make a difference, here's a simple thing you can do. If you want to see God do something amazing tomorrow, go out and love somebody today. You see, Jesus, who obviously has some incredibly famous words, he gives us really two commands, right? We have the great commission, which is to go and make disciples and teach others about Jesus. And then we have the great commandment, love God and love others. So when you live this out in your life and you focus on loving the people who are around you, God has the ability to do incredible things in your life. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 17. Let's go back to David's story. Let me give you a little bit of context here. So David goes, he gives the crackers and the cheese, okay? He does this, he gives it to his brothers. And then there's this rumbling happening uh, in the camp. And you got to think about this because at this point, the Philistines are going up against the Israelites, And every day, Goliath is going out, and it's supposed to be a one-on-one match. Whoever wins is going to rule over the other nation. And Goliath goes out, and he's cursing against Israel, and he's cursing against the God of Israel. David hears this, and he is just like flabbergasted. He's like, why in the world is this guy cursing against our God? We serve the living God. And David's just basically like, I'll fight him. So King Saul, who is the current king, is probably getting a little restless at this point because nobody wants to go out and fight Goliath. So King Saul's assistant comes up to him after he hears that David wants to fight Goliath. And here's how I imagine this conversation goes, okay? Imagine you have King Saul who's waiting for something to be done and his assistant comes up to him and he says, I got good news. We've found someone to fight Goliath. Goliath. Bad news. He's not in the military. He hasn't been trained. He's 14 years old. He can't drive a car yet. He's a shepherd. But King Saul, he plays a mean harp. 
Do you imagine what Saul's reaction is? What I love about the Bible is we actually have a picture of King Saul's reaction to his assistant. Here's the picture. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. That's the King James Version. You have this incredible moment. And here's what David says to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. David's 14 years old. He's looking at the king of Israel and he says, don't worry about Goliath who has killed many people, who is a giant. Don't worry about it. King Saul, man, I did a, I did a Fortnite uh, mission yesterday. I want a solo, like I'm good to go. No, 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 this is crazy. And here's what Saul says. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since youth. Saul looks at David and says, Goliath has been in the military longer than you've been alive. There is no way you can defeat him. Do you know what sticks out to me about this verse? It's when Saul looks at David and he says, you're only a boy. Has anyone ever put a label on you? Has anyone ever told you you couldn't do something because of fill in the blank? You see, labels that other people place upon us, those are difficult and they're challenging and sometimes they can make us question the the call that God has on our life. But some of the most difficult labels that are placed upon us are placed on ourselves. I mean, you know you better than anybody else knows you. You know your failures, you know your shortcomings, you know your insecurities. And there are many times when we can look at ourselves and they say, no way that God could use me today. Why? Because of my past, because of my present, because of my future, whatever it is. And here's what we learn from this verse. How can you make a difference today? We need to trust that faith, not your fill in the blank, will determine how God uses you. Now, I didn't put in an answer here because you need to fill in the blank. What's the label? What is the thing that you think is holding you back from doing all that God has called you to do? I've got a couple ideas and I want to share a couple of those. For you, maybe it's faith, not your age, will determine how God uses you. Some of you, you're very similar to David. Where Saul calls him a boy, you look at yourself and there is no way that God could use me because I'm in middle school or I'm in high school, or I'm too young to start that business, or most people who are in the position that I aspire to be are much older than I am. Others of you, maybe you're a little further along in life. It's not because you're too young. Maybe it's because you feel like you're too old. Your best days are behind you. You're too old. Your time is up. You're not relevant anymore. Your best days were yesterday. They are not now. If you've ever heard this or felt this, God didn't care about David's age. God cared about his faith. God doesn't care about your age. He wants to use you where you are to make a difference, whether you're 15 years old or you're 85 years old. Others of you, faith, not your education, will determine how God uses you. Some of you, you just don't think you're smart enough to be used by God. You're like, I barely graduated high school. I barely graduated college. I'm not very excited about how smart I am. 
And there is a great verse in the book of Acts, which you guys have been walking through a lot this year, that I wanted to include. And it says this, when they, and they is the religious elite, they were frustrated with the movement of Jesus and they were really um, just struggling with understanding how could this happen with the people who were leading the movement of Jesus were not really that impressive. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. One of the main reasons we're sitting here today in church is because of the faithfulness of Peter and John who were unschooled, ordinary men. But do you know why God used them? Because at the end of the verse, they had been with Jesus. I am convinced that God used Peter and John as unschooled and ordinary men to shine a light on how incredible he was. In fact, sometimes God can use people who don't have a seminary degree or don't have the education that everybody looks at and say, you need to be used by God. And he uses them despite all of those things so that he can get the credit. If you do not feel like you're smart enough or your education isn't good enough, man, God can use you no matter who you are. Here's the last one. Faith, not your occupation, will determine how God uses you. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you ask them what they do and they begin the sentence with, or maybe you've done this, I've done this before, I am just a fill in the blank. I am just a stay-at-home parent. I just work in the restaurant industry. I just, whatever it is, here's what I just want to do right now. I want us to take this word just and just throw it to the side and not use it because you are not just a stay-at-home parent. What you do matters. That your greatest contribution to the kingdom may not be something you do, but the child that you raise. You are not just this. God can use you no matter who you are, where you are, and what you've done in your past. To summarize this, your ability to make a difference is not determined by your age, your education, or occupation. It is unleashed through your faith. The lid of your capacity to make a difference is not determined by your age, education, or occupation. It is determined by the capacity of your faith. David was full of faith and God used him and God has the ability to use you where you are to make a difference. The verse continues on in 34, it says this, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal from the flock, I go after it with a club, rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. That's graphic. That's like 14-year-old David. You're looking at him and he's like, he needs to go do the dishes and all of those things. No, like he was doing some intense things at 14 years old. And here's what he shows us. How can you trust, how can you experience a limitless potential in today? How can you, how can you make a difference today? You need to trust that today is preparing you for tomorrow. This is how God works. You see, God has the ability to multitask. He has the ability to take what you're doing now, which may feel small and insignificant, and use it to make a difference in the future. 
You see, God will use you to make a difference today, but he is also preparing you for what's coming tomorrow. If David would have ran away from the bears and the lions when he was a shepherd, there's no way he could have stood confidently in front of Goliath to do what God had called him to do in that moment. David wasn't lazy. He wasn't distracted. And even though he could have been frustrated with his current placement as the anointed king of Israel, but he was serving as a shepherd, he was focused and faithful. And God used him there, and he also prepared him for what he was going to do in him and through him in the future. Were there times where David felt insignificant, overlooked, and underappreciated? I'm sure there was. But God was using those very things to prepare him. Do you feel overlooked today? Do you feel insignificant in your role or whatever you're doing? Do you feel overwhelmed? Just want you to know that if that's what you feel, it's okay. In fact, God may be using those feelings to prepare you and to help you be faithful in this moment so that he can help you be faithful in the next moment, which is the moment that you're excited about. You see, so many people want to be used by God to defeat the Goliaths in their life. They want the big accomplishments and the success and the this and the that, but they don't have the humility of the shepherd. So the question is, is your desire for what you want to do in the future focused on yourself? Or is your desire of what you want to do in the future not only focused on you, but it's ultimately focused on God and bringing glory to him? Be faithful where you are right now. Be faithful in the job that you're frustrated with right now. It's preparing you for something tomorrow. And here's what we know as well, is that your faith in what God will do tomorrow is ultimately reflected by your faithful obedience today. Don't say that you want God to work tomorrow, but you're not faithful in what he has for you right now. In fact, your faith for what God's gonna do tomorrow, it is shown by how faithful you are today. The verse continues on in verse 36. He says, I've done this to both lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. You guys paying attention? Okay, good. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. As a shepherd facing lions and bears, David had no idea that he was being trained to fight a giant. In the midst of our preparation, we will rarely see how God is using that for the future that he has for us. But now David could look back confidently and know that his battles with the lions and the bears were preparing him to defeat Goliath in this moment. David knew that God's faithfulness yesterday would foreshadow his faithfulness tomorrow. If you're worried about the future if you're overwhelmed by thinking about the future and what's going to happen tomorrow, can you just take a moment and remember God's faithfulness yesterday? Because there are some things that you've forgotten that God has moved in those areas and you just need to take a moment and you need to pause and to remember. I mean, do you remember about that one thing that worked out the exact way God had for you, but you were so worried about it then? And then it didn't end up happening the way you thought it was, but it happened the way it needed to happen? You see, many of us, our worry and our fears could subside if we just remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God in the past. The last verse continues. 
This is the last verse we're going to cover today. It says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. He said, all right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Do you notice what David did here? What David did here is what we need to do here with our life. David attributed his success in his preparation to God, not himself. He said, the Lord who rescued me. It wasn't about his intellect. It wasn't about his strength. Was God preparing him? Absolutely. But it was about God, not himself. If I think about this conversation with David and what he was thinking, I I just think, maybe those labels that Saul put on, maybe they were true. They were true. Like David was only 14 years old. And some of the labels that God has placed or other people have placed on you, maybe those labels were true for a season. They were true for a moment. But what you need to remember today is that once you make a decision to follow Jesus, the old is past, the new has begun. That was your old life. This is your new life. Romans chapter 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're struggling with your past today, you need to know that you are made new. That when other people place labels on you and they say there's no way that God could ever use you or there's no way you should step into that, you need to just look at them and maybe say this or not say this, but say, you know what? God has made me new. And since God has made me new, it is about him, not me. When we look at the faithfulness of God, maybe some of you hear the story of David and you're like, I haven't seen God move in that type of way. And if that's what you're saying today, I just want to remind you of an incredible moment because this moment, and we think about the story of David, and whenever you read scripture, the story really isn't about David. It's not just about us defeating the Goliaths in our life. It is about a greater David. It is about a man who came from the line of David. It is about Jesus. And while David defeated a physical giant of Goliath, Jesus defeated the spiritual giant of sin and shame. He was placed upon a cross for our sin, for our shame, that we could not live the life that God called us to live when it came to perfection. So the perfect Jesus died for us. And three days later, he was resurrected from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's incredible on Pentecost Sunday, which means uh, this is what we celebrate this Sunday after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was spread upon the early church, that same spirit lives in you when you make a decision to follow Jesus. And that same spirit is what guides us and challenges us and convicts us. But he also gives us strength to be able to face whatever we're facing today with confidence, not because we're amazing, not because of our own ability, but because the Holy Spirit is powerful and he can do whatever he wants in a moment. The Holy Spirit can take you further in a second than you could ever take yourself in a lifetime. And the dream that God has for this church, the dream that God has for us all is to be used by him to make a difference, not for our glory, but for his. And that's what I love about God. You see, God could do all of this by himself, but he invites us to play a part because he wants us to experience the joy and the fulfillment of being used by him. This joy and fulfillment is not just for the pastors who are speaking on a stage. It is not just for the staff of the church. 
the capacity of the church. The church is at its best when every person is using their gifts to make a difference. Because there are people that God can use you to reach that I would never have the opportunity to be able to reach. That once you make a decision to follow Jesus, all of us are in full-time ministry, whether we get paid or not. And the dream that God has for this church and every church is to be a beacon of light and hope in our communities and understanding that church is not just a Sunday gathering where we come to feel good about ourselves. It is a place where we are inspired and reminded of all that God has done for us. And we are released into our communities, our neighborhoods, and our families to be able to make a difference where we are. So you are not just a fill in the blank. You are a messenger. You are an ambassador for Christ. And God wants to use you where you are to make a difference. That extraordinary outcomes begin with ordinary obedience. So that's my prayer for each and every one of you, that you would walk out of this room and you would know that God wants to use you where you are to make a difference. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for every person in this room. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that lives in us, dwells in us, abides in us. This Holy Spirit wants to use us to be able to make a difference wherever we are. So God, I pray that Redemption Church would be the type of church that is incredible in the community, that is a light in the community, that they are a group of people that understand they want to be used by you and they would experience the joy and the fulfillment that happens when we give our life to you and we surrender everything to you. Thank you for the chance to be able to serve you and thank you so much for your incredible son, Jesus, who you gave up for us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Thank you, Josh. I do sound like him. So it was about a year ago now, uh, again, I think it was at church week. I can't remember the exact date, but that that was my uh, memory of it, where I had said something to the effect of part of the future of Redemption Church is getting involved in church planning. And we don't know what that looks like at the time. That's what I said in that moment. This was before I even knew Josh was planting a church. And I thought this would be a great moment for us to uh, hear Josh's story a little bit. Uh, and then for us to be just educated a little bit about church planting. So as God continues to um, uh, kind of pave the path for us to get involved in church planting at some point uh, to understand a little bit more. And so I want to take a second and just interview, ask you a couple of questions, Josh, so you can kind of help us uh, because this is new for us uh, as a church. And by the way, if you're not sold on church plants, we are one. So just remember that. Uh, six years ago, this church didn't exist. It was planted. Uh, and that's exactly what they're going to do. So, uh, Josh, I guess the, the first question is this. Uh, you're, you and Jess, you guys have grown up in Toledo. You've lived in Toledo other than a, you know, a couple of little college tents. Um, and this has been home. Jess has a great job. She's a teacher at the public schools. Uh, you've got a great job pastoring uh, effectively the largest congregation in Northwest Ohio. You're 29. Jess is a little bit younger than that. Great job. You got all the free babysitting in the world. You live in Toledo where the cost of living is down uh, or lower compared to the rest of the world. You have a great life. Why give it all up to go do something that predominantly, most of the time, fails, which is to go into a new city and plant a church? Yeah. Um, We do have an incredible life, and we're so grateful for the people uh, that we have around us. Uh, But about 10 years ago, I felt a dream that God was calling me to plant, 
And as I really thought about uh, kind of my wiring and my gifting, like I feel like I could lead maybe like an existing church or I could be a campus pastor, a different role serving in a church. Um, But when I look at the state of our society, our culture, uh, the United States, we need more churches to get planted. 4,000 churches close their doors every single year and only 2,000 churches are being planted. Um, Let's stop there for a second. Did you guys hear that? We're we're losing 2,000 churches a year. And so anyone who says that church planting isn't essential does not understand the reality that we're living in. Yeah, so church planting is proven time after time after time to be the most effective form of evangelism. Because uh, as a church plant, you don't have a choice but to reach people because you don't have people. So you're obviously very motivated to go out and to encourage people uh, to take a next step in their faith and their walk and their journey with Christ. And that's something that obviously Jess and I are super passionate about. And uh, that's why we're planting a church. So you, you've been in ministry now, what, 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I think we both started at the same age. And um, so, you, so you're 10 years into this now. You've learned about church planting. Obviously, you have a lot of ministry experience. Um, but now you're headed down to a new city. You're going to Phoenix. Why Phoenix? Yeah, so Phoenix is one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in the country over the last decade. Uh, there's over 900,000 people in Phoenix who aren't engaged in a church. And of those 900,000 people, if you opened up all of the churches and they had all of the current service times that they have now, 600,000 of those people wouldn't be able to have a seat. 600,000. And when we look at the city of Goodyear, which is 20 miles west of Phoenix, which is where we're going to be launching, uh, Pastor Tim Keller says in order to fully reach a community, you need a church for every 200 people. Uh, Goodyear is around 100, 105,000 people, and there's six churches in Goodyear uh, with a Goodyear address. Six. We need 500. So we'll be one of them, and we'll hopefully launch more and more churches to help fully reach that city. Yeah. So but let's just recap. 100,000 people in the city. There are currently six churches. And that is an unbelievable bad number and an incredible opportunity. Um, you, you mentioned this in the last service, um, that Phoenix is one of the least biblically-minded cities in the country. Yep, is that so 11th least biblically-minded city in the country. 11th yep. least biblically-minded city. And now, part of that is because there is such a deficiency of churches, uh, and then obviously lots of people, I don't know, do you know the statistic on what is like the transplant number into Phoenix? So 291 people a day are moving into Phoenix, and 73% of people who live in Phoenix are transplants. They didn't grow up there. Three out of four, then, okay. And basically 300 people are moving there every single day. Every day, yep. That's incredible. Half of them are coming from Northwest Ohio, it seems. Um, Speaking of which, anyone want to move to Arizona? Josh would love to talk to you. Come on, we'll we'll talk. Uh, If if you're into that. Um, So, okay, so that's why Planet Church. That's why Phoenix. What's the dream? Yeah, so we have four values as a church. The first is to be Jesus-focused. The most fulfilling life is found in following Jesus. Everybody lives forever somewhere, and we want more people to go to heaven. So we want to help reach more people. And the way we're going to continue to do that is our second value is faith-filled. We believe that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So we want to be a church that's full of faith. Uh, We're going to be a church that's for the one, because nothing excites the heart of God more than when the lost are found. That verse is based in uh, Luke chapter 15, 7, uh, with the prodigal son and the different stories there. And our last value is to be outrageously generous. The dream of our church is that people would look at our church and say, hey, I might not 
go there. I may not be into the whole church thing, but I am so grateful that Purpose Church is in our community because the way that they live it out, the way they are generous with their time and their resources truly is inspiring. And although I don't go there, I want my kids to marry the kids that go there. I want to hire all of them uh, because they live it out in their community. Awesome. What's the, um, what's the plan? Obviously, you can't just show up into a new city and uh, hope that this works. Yeah. Uh, and so you've studied church planning. You've been around church planners your whole life. Um, what, what's the plan? Yeah, so Jess and I moved there in about five weeks. We wanted to go to Phoenix when it was nice and cool. Um, so we're going there in July. So that's going to be great. And uh, we got about six months to build a launch team. And uh, when we decided to plant a church about six months ago, there was no, we didn't have anybody who was going to come with us. We, we didn't know if anybody was going to show up, but we knew it was what God had called us to do. So we took the step of faith. And over the last six months, we've had 20 people commit um, from moving from Toledo, Ohio to be part of our launch team, which is amazing. Do I have um, 21 and 22? Come on, here's a chance. <laughs> so no? 20 people. Okay. And then we also have about 20 to 30 people are going to commit to coming out for three weeks in January. So if people have availability when it comes to their schedule and working remote or potentially retired, uh, we need 50 people to launch our church uh, on our launch team. Now we're going to you know, do everything we can to get much more than that when we uh, kind of have boots on the ground in July over the next five months of building that team. Uh, but that's really the plan right now. I want to stop there for a second. 20 people are suspending, giving up, stopping their lives here and moving across the country just to plant. Ooh, I can't say just. Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> to plant a church. Moving across the country. And, uh, and that is amazing. In fact, two of them were actually here this morning, uh, and uh, Spencer and Amy, yeah. uh, and, who just out of the blue, they were planning on moving to Arizona anyway, and then they just found out that J- Josh was planning a church, and so God used Facebook to connect them. Uh-huh. Uh, and there are already stories like this that are beginning to happen. And so Josh and Jess are now 20, uh, and hopefully that'll be 30 or 40 by the time you guys go out there. Uh, and then you get there into the city where you know absolutely no one, yep. uh, and then you just, ah, then you don't just then you talk begin to, to meet everybody people. you can you talk yes. to everybody yeah so that's the goal and then it's to get to about 50 to 100 people 50 to 100 right? and then we'll hopefully launch in january 22nd 2023 is our target date january 22nd 2023 awesome um okay so i'm assuming that there are some needs there's a few yeah uh, yes uh, so the first one is prayer uh, we truly believe that prayer is not a last resort it's our first response specifically if you can write this down be praying for a location on average Every church planner, on average of the church planners I've talked to, which are five specifically, um, they got 17 no's before they got a location. Purpose Church, we're at two no's. We've gotten two high schools that have denied us. So I just know that is so huge. And as many of you know, the supply chain is a struggle right now. So there's a lot of portable equipment that you have to order six months out. If you don't know where you're going to plant, you can't order equipment So really trying to lock into a place over the next month that God is going to lead us to be so that we can start buying those equipment. So praying first, um, joining the launch team if you're interested, coming out for a couple weeks in January, and then obviously financially investing. Uh, We need to raise about $300,000, and church planting is not immune to inflation or the different costs that have to do with everything. I talked to a church planter the other day who launched three years ago, and he bought a 24-foot trailer, enclosed trailer to, you know, have his stuff. He's like, yeah, it was 5,200 bucks. 
So I looked at it, and I'm looking at these things in Phoenix, and there's $15,000 in three years for an increase. So we have funds that we need to raise to be able to launch as effectively as, as possible uh, because we want to reach more and more people, and that's the ultimate goal. And I think there's sometimes, just to, to clarify, people might go, $300,000, that sounds like a lot of money to go plant a church. It's a decent amount of money. Of course, $300,000 now, as compared to a year ago, is way different. $300,000 now uh, in Toledo compared to Phoenix is way different. I mean, you're talking probably $10,000 or so in rent a month, I'm assuming. Yeah, so Phoenix grew in least affordability more than any other city over the last two years. You picked a great city. I picked a great yeah, city. Exactly. Yeah, God picked Fantastic. This. Yeah, um, and, and of course other people might have like, you, know, you might have your own idea, you know, and like, well, why would it cost that much or those kind of things. And, and there are lots of other people who plant churches in other ways. <laughs> they just fail. Yeah, the most And most of them don't last more than five years. Yeah, it's right? proven that the most important capital that you have at the church is the beginning because the problem is if you don't have the upfront capital, you can't launch with critical mass. If you can't launch with critical mass, which is about 150 people, the likelihood that you're going to be sustainable and be a church longer than five years, um, it just goes down. It decreases a lot. So the most important capital is actually the upfront capital to be able to put you in that position. And even I think about us as a church, our very first Sunday, we had 119 people on our very first Sunday. And it was that over 100 number that allowed us to be sustainable and to make it pass. What is it? 80% of churches fail within their first five years? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so to be one of the 20%, these are the, the strategies that God has given really smart people who do this all over the country. That number is still startling to me. Two thousand, we're losing 2,000 churches a year. 2,000 churches a year. And you think of a story like Josh and Jess, and this is why it is hard, because you get people who, in the crazy economy that we live in right now, they have good lives, and they have to give it up. You have to give it up and to move across the country to, to make these things happen. Uh, and so please, um, as you are able, uh, particularly all of us, we can all pray, and we'll do that in a moment. Maybe there is somebody out there, and you've been thinking about moving, and God is calling you to that, uh, and you're going to move to the, the Phoenix area. If that is you, find Josh. I'm sure he would absolutely love to talk to you. Uh, and then, uh, of course, financially, we'll be praying as a church what we, we might do. And if any of you feel called or compelled to do that, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, so if you go to PurposeArizona.com, there's updates, there's prayer requests, and there's also the financial giving, so you can do that all there. Awesome. Well, you've taught us a lot this morning, which we're very grateful about. Can you guys just, again, say thank you to Josh for coming out today? And let's take a moment and pray. Uh, Father, thank you um, for literally my brother and... I pray, Father, that you would use him and Jess to bring the gospel to a city that needs it. And Father, that as we think about these 100,000 people in Goodyear and six places to go to church, Father, you've called them here. You've trained them. You've equipped them. We ask now that you would provide every need that they have. Father, that you would clear the path for that location, that exact right spot. That your Holy Spirit would be working on the other side as it often does, working in an administrator's heart right now, working in a board member's heart, an owner of a building's heart, Lord, that you would set this up and that you would make this perfect match happen. Father, that you would provide every financial need, that you would put every person in their path, that you would give Josh, Josh and Jess peace as they move across the country, that you would surround them when they move down there with great friends and great support. 
that you would provide every spiritual need, every practical need, and that this church would be a light in a community that needs it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.